0: You're listening to an episode of the C-19 Podcast, a production by scholars from around the world that explores the past, present, and the future through the United States in the long 19th century. We are an official production of C-19, the Society of 19th Century Americanists. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the opinions of the respective individuals' employers nor the official opinions of
1: C-19. Hi, I'm Doug Guerra, chair of the C-19 Podcast Subcommittee. And I wanted to take a moment to introduce a special bonus episode that we're bringing you this week, a live recording of the recent Insights into Editing J-19 event with outgoing editors of J-19, Betsy Duquette and Stacey Margolis. Here they discuss the varied labors of running a scholarly journal, of advocating for institutional support when doing national disciplinary service work, and of enabling emergent innovations within critical thought through editorial stewardship. They also take a variety of questions from scholars across the field of 19th century studies. We hope you enjoy learning about the nature of editorship and the practical realization of ideas in our field, and we also hope that some of you might consider answering their call for new editors of J19. You can find more information about that at the C-19 website by clicking the Call for Editors link under Journals. With that, I'll turn it over to the chair of the event, Crystal Dankor of SUNY New Paltz.
0: So, thank you all for joining us this evening, or whatever time it may be where you are, for what I know will be a very interesting chat with the outgoing editors of J-19, the Journal of 19th Century Americanists. Uh, there will be a Q&A period after um, the session, so prepare your questions, and you will also be able to find a link to the call for editors that will continuously be posted in the chat. Uh, for those of you who may not be as familiar with the history of the journal, J-19 launched in 2010 as an outgrowth of the energies of the first biennial meeting of C-19, the Society of 19th Century Americanists Conference at Penn State in 2009. The journal is published twice a year with spring and fall issues that feature interdisciplinary scholarship. Some J-19 highlights include the pleasure reading series and various forums on special topics. J-19 has evolved since its inaugural editors Dana Nelson and Chris Castiglia published the first issue and the journal has continued to flourish under the stewardship of the current outgoing editors, Elizabeth Duquette and Stacy Margolis. Elizabeth Duquette is a professor of English at Gettysburg College and the author of Loyal Subjects, Bonds of Nation, Race and Allegiance in 19th Century America and a bunch of articles, as well as the co-editor of The Gates Ajar, and Elizabeth Stewart Phelps selected tales, essays, and poems. She is completing a book about tyranny and ubiquity across the long age of Napoleon. Stacy Margolis, professor of English at the University of Utah, is the author of Fictions of Mass Democracy in 19th Century America and The Public Life of Privacy in 19th Century American Literature. And Stacy and Elizabeth have been co-editing J19 since. 2016. Um, Elizabeth and Stacy, thank you so much for being open to having a Zoom fireside chat, if you will, about what it means to be editors of J19. And these questions are kind of informal, not directed toward either of you. So feel free to kind of jump in and go back and forth. Uh, The first question today is about the process of putting together an issue. So how's the editorial load uh, distributed between the both of you and What is it like to collaborate as a co-editing team? There's a
2: lot of texting (laughs) um, to give you the sort of simple answer. Um, We divide our work very evenly. Um, When we put together our proposal, uh, part of what we proposed is that we would be in weekly contact. And that has proven to be the case. We... Um, Even before everybody migrated onto Zoom, we were um, Skyping every week to decide who, what we were doing, who would be reading, you know, who we would turn to as outside readers, what we thought about the reports, when we get to pre-production, moving through those things. So, um, we are a team and...
3: Yeah, when we took oh, over you. the journal, um, Dana and Chris told us that they would divide it up so that if there was an incoming essay, the, it would sort of take it through the process. And then the next essay that came in, the next person would take it and take it through the process. But we don't do that. We, we talk about everything, which I have to say I really like. Um, you asked about the process of putting together, um, an issue where actually we just finished up an issue. So it's like fresh in our minds. It, it should be coming out like what? That's two weeks? something like that. Uh, Yes, it should. uh,
2: 9-1 is done. Proofs are done. Everything is done. It should be, uh, we should, we had hoped we would have it for today, but it should be available um, in the next week to 10 days. And we are about to turn in Um, 9-2.
3: The whole process takes about six months. It's a long process. Getting all the articles together, deciding what special features are going to be in the journal, going through the uh, line editing process, citation checking, um, then then uh, copy editing, then proofs. I mean, by the time all of this gets done, it's and you know it goes through the press. It's a it's a really long process. So we're working on uh, the the issue that's coming out now this spring. We turned into the press in October.
0: Okay. Wow. I mean, you've given us a sense of kind of broad strokes of the timeline, but in your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, what's the time commitment like for you? How many hours a week would you say if you could kind of calculate that? Do you spend working on this?
2: It varies from peer Time to time. I mean, when we have the proofs and the copy edits, things are condensed. We are uh, we need to turn those things around on a timeline that we can't set exclusively. Um, but I would say it averages out to about 10 hours a week. We have been, we thought this might be a question that we were asked. So um, you know, so we we did we've been keeping track, and that is a what um, we would say, but it's not always that much. I mean sometimes, some weeks there's very little to do and then other weeks there's a great deal to do. It's probably also worth noting that we are the outgoing editors and we're so excited to welcome our new incoming partners, Um, but we'll still be editors through volume 10. So two, two more issues. So two more issues after the one we're doing. And the reason there is overlap like this is to make sure there's time for the incoming editors to have everything in place to realize their editorial vision. So I think that's also an important part of sort of thinking about the process.
0: OK, that's that's really helpful to know. And now that you brought up in kind of incoming editors, um, what kind of expertise do they need to have? So what's expected of editors in terms of their knowledge base of content? or editorial experience?
3: Well, I didn't have any editorial experience. <laughs> I don't know if that's like, turned out to be a good or a bad thing. I mean, you learn on the job. Uh, the, the difference between a journal like this and something like PMLA is that, you know, we are a 19th century journal. So the, I think it is expected that editors have an interest and do work in the 19th century and kind of know something about, you know, the beginning of the century t- to the end of the century. Uh, but we don't you know we are not the ones who read every essay, although we do read every essay, but we rely on experts uh, you know in the field to to review the submissions
2: So I did have a little editorial experience um coming in, and I have actually acquired some more because i've taken some courses in editing um, because it it helps to know what is happening and particularly if your proofs come back and they're wrong and you don't quite know why that's the case, um, it makes your life a lot easier if you actually know what you're supposed to tell them. Um, But it is, but we did not start with this. You will certainly learn this on the job. Um, I would say though that to build off what Stacy was saying, one of the biggest challenges is not so much knowing um, you know, you, we all have our own fields and our specializations, but we have to be, you have to be able to find readers. So you need to be able to swim through a wide range of waters um, and you need to be able to find not just one reader, but maybe four. If the first reader turns you down, you need to, you need to have the confidence and um, just the ability to research and find the right reader for an essay. And that is, I think, uh, something you just, again, you develop these skills, you learn who you can trust and who you can't, and um, you, this is just something that people develop as they go through their time as editors.
0: I'd like to build on this question of of content, right? From your level as editors, how do you ensure that the journal is publishing content that's representative of the entire C19 membership? So whether that's disciplines or approaches or even the rank of authors, independent scholars, is there a method?
2: Both yes and no.
1: I mean, (laughs) we
0: work very
2: hard to support, um, to support, uh, a wide variety of scholars. And we're proud of the fact that we do. I mean, at the beginning, we when the journal was starting, many of those first issues, essays had to be solicited. You know, you're starting from scratch. We don't have to do that anymore. We get a lot of submissions and we work very hard to make sure that independent scholars or non-tenure-crack scholars can actually still find a home um, for their work uh, in, in J-19. That said, we... We do struggle to meet what we take, what we've always taken to be one of its, our most important charges, that the journal be interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. That can be a challenge. Um, other disciplines don't necessarily recognize J19 as a home for them. Well, you know, so there might be questions about whether or not that's, there. the journal would count as a good publication in a review process. And that is going to, that is ongoing work. Um, that we've been trying to do. We have, uh, um, we've been trying to work to publish more essays by historians, which can sometimes um, be a challenge there. It's hard to, we are identified primarily as a literature journal, um, and we're always really excited. We just got a a submission from someone who's who's in an architecture program. So we are eager to do that. but I won't pretend there aren't challenges to right. making sure that those essays can make it through our reading process.
3: Well, two things I would add to what Betsy just said is, one, we are really dependent on people sending us stuff. I mean, we can ask and we do, but sometimes it just, people don't send the stuff and you ha- we have to have the essays to work with. So that's, a, that's an issue. In other words, you, ha- you could have a dream of content, but it doesn't materialize. And the other thing I think we've done a pretty good job with is working with junior scholars. I don't even know if they're all junior scholars, to be honest with you, but we've been very um, what's the word, generous <laughs> with the uh revise and resubmit, like trying to work with authors through the process so that they can get an essay that looks promising into publishable form. And that is a, a great deal of work. It's actually, I think Betsy does a better job of this than I do, but it's very rewarding work. Uh, but it's important, you know, to be able to um to kind of help junior scholars, especially uh on the road to publication.
0: You've both mentioned some challenges and Stacey, you just indicated uh, what has been rewarding. Can you expand on some of the challenges and kind of most rewarding moments um, under your kind of tenure as editors?
3: My goodness. We were just talking about this last night and I'm trying to reconstruct what we said, but to me, um, I'm just gonna talk about rewards right now. <laughs> the re- most rewarding thing has been working with authors, authors seeing, uh, an essay come in just promising and not in shape and, and seeing it come out in this, you know, very polished form. Um, and also the way that we've tried to, um, you know, kind of enact a creative vision in the journal, you know, we, we decided that we wanted to have like really exciting covers, and then Betsy had the idea that we should like write something about the covers, and I hadn't thought of that. But as soon as she mentioned it, I've been like obsessed with finding uh, visual art and then learning about nineteenth-century visual art, and it's just been so fun. Uh, I didn't think I was interested in that stuff, but it turns out um, I I am. So that's been great. Betsy, so you want to talk about challenges and rewards? Um, well, I would
2: I would just say that again, the most challenge, I mean most the, re- the most rewarding part of editing the journal is working with authors. Um, and I have Zoomed with authors, I have read multiple drafts of things that we have conditionally accepted, trying to make sure that, um, you know, that they're, that the authors are from different kinds of institutions, different backgrounds, are being able to present work they're really proud of. Um, I'm gonna say that we are really proud of, we have a forum, we're calling it a mega forum, that comes out in the next issue on- Biography and evidence, um, and there are twelve essays in it. I think it's thirteen. Lucky thirteen. Thirteen, 13 essays. Someone from religion. Some two people from history. Um, some people from multiple disciplines. All giving. A, they all gave us short pieces. Some of them are personal. Some of them aren't. On the relationship between biography and evidence. In in what they're working on. So that is, um, that is very exciting. If I'm going to be honest, the most challenging thing is that, uh, the journal is always there. I don't have <laughs> children. Um, so I can only imagine, or, you know, comment on my friend's children, but you know how when kids are just sort of poking you and they're, you know, like they're there and they're like, they're just poking you. That's a little what the the journal is like a little bit. It's always kind of poking you. And it's fantastic. And I am delighted and honored to have been given this opportunity. But I'm not going to pretend it doesn't poke you.
3: (laughs) It's also been really, really fun working as a team. Um, I think this is something for people to think about because you do spend a lot. This is where we started, but you spent a lot of time talking to collaborating with making decisions with your editorial partner. I mean, it's like a marriage in a way I was saying to Betsy, like, I think I talk to you as much as I talk to my husband, you know, and it's like, it's like a constant back and forth, but that's been so great. It's been really nice.
2: Now that said, I mean, when, <laughs> when now that's it, I'm not going to disagree with you and I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that I'm much less annoying than anybody. So, <laughs> um, but, um, but, each editorial team can arrange the journal the way they want to arrange the journal. I mean, we, part of the idea of rotating the editorship is not that, it will always be the same. Um, And so certainly for those of you who are interested in applying, thinking about exactly how you think you will, what what kind of organizational structure is gonna work best for you um, is important because just, that Stacy and I talk all the time is
0: not a requirement, <laughs> um, even though it's been fantastic. Thank you. I love the way that this is also about friendship that develops out of editing. <laughs> Can you speak about, from what you both share, this is you know at times quite a bit of work. What kind of institutional support, if any, do you get uh, for providing this service to your field? course releases or reduced service commitments. And and if you have been able to get that kind of support, how do you make the ask?
3: Um, yeah, I did. I mean, we were lucky enough to be asking for support uh, right in between the dip that was 2008, you know, and the dip that was the pandemic. So there was money available. Uh, and I... You know, I had a good working relationship with my chair and when I explained the situation to him and the uh, the kind of important work it was, uh, he was incredibly supportive and uh, made sure that it happened. I don't know if that that's not like a recipe, you know, it's like I was really lucky uh, to be asking when I was asking and to be asking who I was asking. Um, but as Betsy, and I'll let you talk for yourself, but as you were pointing out the other night, um, the situation now doesn't mean that you you wouldn't get support. It might not look the same as the support that that we got. I mean, I got a course release and money for the journal. Uh, and the course release has been so, so necessary for me because it is a lot of work. Um, and just having that one course off a year um, has made a huge difference in the energy that I can put into the journal.
2: So I also um, got a course release and um, we both uh, were able to, it's a paid course release. Um, We both were able to uh, negotiate a small stipend uh, for the institution. I also um, oversee interns that, um, so undergraduate interns who work with me in the journal and I oversee them and they can have course credit. and I have taken them to the press, um, to meet with the people at the press. So that was part of my selling of the journal to my institution was I added in a component that made it not just about, not so it wasn't just something that was good for me or my department or my institution, I also made it something that's good for my students. And I am now going to teach a class in the fall called the Editor's Desk, which will incorporate um, some works on um, famous authors who are also editors. So, you know, we'll read Morrison with Bombera and, you know, think about that kind of relationship. And then they'll also walk through varying components of um, of the editorial process. And I'll you know, make them copy edit things, not from the journal, however, but what I mean, but, but you know in in your asking how do you sell this to your institution? My answer is, know your institution's culture and what it values because it's a rare provost or dean or chair that will do something for you just because you want it, <laughs> so if you think about what makes them want it you'll You'll much be. it's much more likely that you'll be successful anytime you negotiate with them. Um, the other thing I would say, and this is certainly the case um, when Stacy and I put our application together, um, we had already thought about what our editorial vision was, how we wanted to run the journal, what it was going to look like under our leadership if we were lucky enough to be chosen so that we went to our institutions we had answers to their questions. We were ready to explain to them a wide range of things that made it more compelling. So in addition to knowing your institution, knowing why you're asking is also really important.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, You have, I mean, I'm now like, I'm gonna submit to J-19, I have in the (laughs) past. I've learned so much about the journal from your conversation, I'm sure so many other people have as well. And I wanna give our audience an opportunity to ask questions. So at this time, I'm going to ask you either to put your question in the chat and I will read it or simply indicate that you have a question and I will call on you so that you can ask your question yourself. And while people get situated uh, doing that, um, I'll ask another kind of question. Uh, can you talk about the challenges of this role, particularly during um, COVID like, and, and what long-term impacts that COVID might have on scholarly publishing? If you don't wanna speak broadly, just some, maybe what you see ahead for J-19 and if, there are any, if there's any advice that you have for incoming editors on managing that in the, in the short-term, potentially in the long-term.
2: Well, it's certainly true that our submissions are off a little bit. Um, I would not say, I know we're part of an editor's listserv, and some journals are seeing um, gendered patterns to um, their what their submissions look like. We have not seen that. Um, our submissions continue to be um, from... Uh, Men and women, um, people who are non-binary as well, and um, people of people of color as well as whites, white authors. So we we continue to attract a diverse number of diverse submissions, but we are getting fewer of them. Um, I think it's also absolutely true um, that we are going to have fewer scholars going forward in these fields. Um, I mean, we have already heard of institutions closing, uh, departments closing. And so, I mean, this work feels incredibly important to me and I want to nurture and sustain it, but it may mean that incoming editors have a little bit of work to do to make sure they can support the authors, um, to find and support the authors to publish.
3: Stacey, did you have anything you wanted to say? I, I couldn't have said it better. Um, I would say that the biggest challenge it seems to me, aside from you know, the workload increasing for so many people, is financial. It was a huge financial hit to so many institutions. It really changed the landscape. You know, I feel, I can feel the change uh, that, that things are, you know, uh, belts are way out right than they were, we started. I mean, maybe that will change again. Who knows? Uh, But but learning how to be creative with the, you know, the small amount of rice that you have, Uh, you know, we only have a certain number of pages and certain uh, amount of submissions and and, you know, trying to make something great uh, under hard circumstances is what we've been doing.
2: Um, I just
3: want to play an unfamiliar role,
2: which is the glass half full role. It's really <laughs> not me at all, um, but I will say that there are great opportunities too. If if the gr- if the biggest hit might be in terms of travel money and f- direct funding, that doesn't actually have to mean that um, uh, publishing per se goes away and you know, here we are with all of you wonderful people. And this would not have been the case. We wouldn't have even thought to do this. Mm-hmm. If we hadn't had, I mean, I'm not I'm not really saying there's anything good about the pandemic, but I am saying that it's great to be here with you. So um, I have a great deal of faith uh, in our ability to be resilient and creative as a field. Um, and so I, I optimistically hope there's more emphasis placed on journal publishing, maybe not books, but journals as, as we look toward the future. And so that's my glass half full take. And I'll now go back to being myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you. We appreciate that optimism. I hope all of that comes to pass as well. And we've gotten many questions in the chat. I am going to be reading first and last names. My apologies in advance. If I mispronounce your name, you may absolutely unmute to correct me. (laughs) Our first question is from Patrick Cesarini. Patrick says thank you for sharing all of this experience. What's the role of the editorial, editorial advisory board Also, as a new reader, I was surprised that the journal does not have book reviews. Why is that? Great question.
3: Um, Well, I can answer the first one really easily. That's it, you can take the second one. Um, The role of the advisory board is, they actually work really hard. You know, it's, according to our bylaws, every essay has to be read by someone on the board. So they read a lot of essays and their input matters enormously, you know, so their opinion about uh, any particular essay is, you know, is huge. Uh, So it is a a great deal of work and they have a great deal of influence on the journal. You know, they are the journal, I think, as much as we are, I would say. Wouldn't you, Betsy?
2: Absolutely, and um, one of the most important tasks the editors do every year is pick their board. Because you need because the board reads so much, um, we don't work one-on-one with them per se. I mean, they're off reading and we're in our corners, but we rely on them a great deal. So that is important. Um, the journal didn't have book reviews when we took it over. Now I'm going to completely just kind of circle around this question. <laughs> and we chose not to add them um, in part because they take up we don't have that many pages. We only publish twice a year, um, and they take up a lot of space um, to do to do well. Um, particularly now that Gordon has started the ALH online series, um, coupling that with the reviews that American Literature does, there's a lot of there's a lot of potential for reviewing. Some of the British journals do some really great jobs of reviewing. All of that said, if you um, Patrick, decide to s- apply to be the editor of the journal and you think that G19 needs book reviews, you should say that you're going to add book reviews. Right. I we mean, added- we
3: said, yeah, we I was going to say we added letters because we thought it would be fun if people could respond to essays. But book reviews is also a great idea. So, yeah, I would I would echo Betsy and say, if this is your vision for the journal, then go for it.
0: That's great, I love that the journal's ever evolving. Uh, our next question is from Valerie Serenko. Valerie asks, how would you describe your role in relationship to the way the field might be changing in terms of its priorities? To what degree do you see yourselves as shaping the trends in the fields in terms of methods, approaches, recovered texts? Or do you see yourselves as serving more as facilitators or gatekeepers, so to speak?
2: Well, I will say one thing about gatekeeping, um, which is that um, we definitely, when we first began, were Melville scholar gatekeepers because we were getting a Melville essay every other week <laughs> and only published so many Melville essays. So we turned some of them away hastily. Um, uh, but that is, that is tapered off. Um, we are... I think I can say this, speak for you as well, Sophie. We see ourselves not as gatekeepers, but as but as facilitators, as people who are here to help the ideas that are in the field that come to us from the membership and from the scholars who send us articles to help them get a great read. Um, we often get thank you notes from um, from authors, including authors we reject. For the quality of our reports. Um, so we are looking for a great fair read with an eye to making this the best essay it can be. Not my essay, not Stacy's essay, nobody really needs more of my work. Um, but the best essay it can be for that scholar and hopefully that's, G19's the home for that. If it's not, we'll often suggest journals we think might be a good home for it because we are here to help
3: people. Yeah, and I, I've them. been amazed at what I've learned from. I mean, it sounds so kind of cheesy to say, you know, but I've learned so much from reading the all of the essays that come in. In fact, this, this uh, forum that we put together was Based on what we'd noticed about submissions. So rather than trying to shape them, we were like really interested in what was coming in and what was coming in was a lot of biographical stuff. And that struck us as really interesting. So like. Do we want biographical stuff? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, people were interested in biographical stuff and we wanted to know why. So we asked people, you know, what do you think? Why is there this turn to biography? But I think we've approached the journal that way from the beginning, like just learning all kinds of new stuff that people were interested in and wanted to work on. And, and like Betsy said, we want to make the essays the best they the best thing they can be, not our thing, you know, but but their thing. And that's how we've run really how we've run the journal access, you know, gatekeeping, I guess, because you have to send rejections, like some essays get rejected. There is, I guess, just just by definition, a kind of gatekeeping, but it's not the kind that I think you mean, you know, it's not like we have an idea of what 19th century American scholarship should be, and only those essays will get published. It doesn't work that way at all.
0: Thank you. I want to take a moment to inject some praise happening in the chat. Uh, Professor Fielder, really loves the letter section and Sean Gordon and of agree. And Sean also <laughs> loves the attention to the design and covers, so. <laughs> um, Cheryl Weaver Amenta asks, do you see the potential for interested individuals to assist in some capacity as remote first readers to lessen the burden of the editorial duties? Perhaps this might broaden the academic fields involved or submitting as well as incorporate new critical theories.
2: Um, I'm afraid I don't understand the question. I mean,
3: Uh, is it like kind of a editorial assistant kind of thing, screening essays? If that's the case, then we don't really get enough submissions to require, I mean, if we got like 200 submissions a month or something, then yes, we, it would be great to have somebody like pre screen the essays, but we don't get that, the kind of load that would require us to have somebody else read them. And of course, people read them, we send them to specific readers. So every, you know, essay or almost, almost every essay gets sent out to two readers. Sometimes three. Right, right.
2: Three. Um, and I can anticipate a question in the chat. We get On average about a hundred submissions a year. Um, So yeah that's about average. We're a little off our average and that's uh, that at our height that's new submissions but there are also revisions, revise and resubmit essays uh, that come back in as well as queries and other kinds of um, other kinds of issues. We do not put the forums together and this is the only forum that we as editors have put
0: together, forums come to us fully formed. Thank you. Uh, the next question is from Jennifer Griman or Griman. My apologies, Jennifer. How much of the vision for the journal that you two had in the beginning have you been able to realize? And how much do you find that it is shaped by what comes in? Also, thanks for doing this. It's nice to see you.
3: <laughs> I think we've made we've the most kind of the vision that has fluctuated a little, Betsy, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong on this, is we were very committed to doing international forums. And I still think that it's great that we're doing these international forums. So we had one by German Americanists come out um, just like last year. And we have one um, by Japanese Americanists coming out in the next, not the next issue, but the one after that. Um, it's just that, you know, like everything, in academics it's surprising you know you don't you have this idea of what it's going to be and then it turns out to be something different and that's not a bad thing it's just a kind of a learning curve you know like I think we underestimated or maybe I underestimated how different these academic cultures were and that's part of the interest of these pieces but it's also part of the challenge of of working with them through them.
2: It's a little weird that we have, we've had more success completing forms from the um, Axis as opposed to the Allies (laughs) in World War II. Um, But, um, but we have also had conversations about putting together forms from South America, from, um, from other countries, um, from Central America and other countries in Europe, but I would say that we didn't realize how long it would take to pull these things together. And so we're part of the reason that the editorial search is happening a little sooner. By the time we began understanding and thinking all of this through, and we started to roll the ball We were already 18 months into our term and academic time is academic time. It takes a while for people to do things. And so uh, we wanted to make sure that the new editors didn't have the experience we had, which was through nobody's fault because it was the first transition or we had a little panicky moment because we didn't have any content. Um, You'll notice there's a time where there are no forums because Chris and Dana had started stopped putting them together, and we hadn't picked up the slack for a certain number of months until after that. So um, that I think is one of the great challenges for realizing our vision: is that it just takes a long time um, to pull together the pieces you need to solicit. Um, so if you are interested in being the editor, and as again, I hope some of you are. Um, be prepared to start thinking about that on day one when you get named, not day one when you become the editors, when we hand well,
3: over it. The, the, the plan, I'm sorry, Betsy, I'm, I'm just jumping in. The plan is for, to have the new editor shadow us, which we did a little with Chris and Dana, but it was very short. So we wanted to expand the shadowing so that, you know, you would actually be up to speed, like running alongside us, you know, um, when we when we took off like the what's that pace setting bunny that is in the races you know like we leave the track and you keep on running but you'll be up to speed by then we're we're hoping <laughs> <amazing>. <laughs> you know in a okay, race the there's a- has just broken out now and you're all
2: seeing
0: it because this is what it's like i'm
2: like what are you talking about Barbosa? <laughs>
0: pace-setting bunny Anyway, I'm sorry. Oh, no, please. Uh, We have um, one more question in the chat, and anyone else can feel free to enter a question if they have one. Um, Catherine Childs is not necessarily applying right now, but uh, Catherine's interested to learn more about journal editing writ large. And, uh, Elizabeth, can you say something about the editing classes that you took?
2: Uh, Sure. I actually... Uh, went. I got a certificate from the University of Chicago um, in editing. Um, it's a five course sequence. And it took me through all kinds of basics about copy editing. Um, I took a course on electronic editing, which actually proved to be the most useful thing ever. Now I can... Now I can combine documents. Mm. So authors only get one instead of three documents yeah. from us during the editorial process. Um, there are so, and I did that because I did the Chicago course, which is the most expensive of the courses because the journal is in um, Chicago style. Uh, the whole series is a couple of thousand dollars. I mean, it's not, it's not nothing, but I did get some institutional support for it, and they do have financial aid. There are other programs. There's a program at UCSB, I believe. Um, they're all online and uh, they. I am happy to pull up a list. Um, if you want to uh, send, uh, if you send me an email reminding me, I'm happy to put you in touch with it. I learned a great deal. I learned a great deal. It was really useful, but not necessary,
0: not necessary at all. Thank you both so much. I believe this is the end of the questions in the chat. I, I really appreciate just how generous you've been sharing the kind of history of your experience and your, uh, your journey um, being the editors of J19. And at this time is there anything you'd like to add that wasn't posed in the questions asked by myself or the audience?
2: I guess I would just say that if you're interested please do not hesitate to send us an email. Uh, We are happy to talk one-on-one more specifically about um, if you have questions or you're uncomfortable asking in a group, we are here to support the journal. Um, We're gonna support the journal as editors until we're done, but supporting the journal also means supporting the new editors and we are available for that. So please don't feel shy about um, asking or asking us questions in confidence we are happy to consider them
3: yeah and our emails are available um, they're they're out there uh, there you can also send emails uh, through the press although they won't be confidential um, but yeah most of what would you say Betsy like 80% of our job is emailing so we're happy we live on email we would be happy to email with you or set up a zoom meeting you know to talk in more detail about any aspect of editing that you want to know more about
2: um I zoom
0: doesn't know your email doesn't auto populate your email for me Stacey do you want to drop yours in the chat (laughs) Well, while you put your email in the chat, I want to thank everyone for attending today and also for participating with such enthusiasm. I'd like to give a special shout out to the C-19 Committee on Ad Hoc Events, which convened and organized today's conversation. In equal parts, Levin Shelnut, Crystal Webster, Zain Yao, and Matthew Swazo helped to bring all of this together, just a face and a voice. And I was very happy to be able to chat with the both of you. Um, So thank you again.
3: Thank you. This was really fun. And they were great questions.
0: Thanks and
2: for send doing us stuff,
0: people. Send us your stuff. <laughs> send your stuff. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey.
1: Thank you for listening to the C19 Podcast. Enjoyed this episode? Have thoughts? Use the hashtag C19Podcast or get in touch with us at C19Podcast at gmail.com have an idea for an episode? Check out our CFP on the C-19 website for more details on submitting a proposal.